We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna I think Buffalo's the biggest mover and shaker in this thing, and I think there's a good chance that the, that the Bills either go up to six and just take Baker Mayfield, and they're happy with that, and, they're, and they sign off, okay, we got Baker Mayfield, we got our quarterback. Or the Bills play aggressor here and say, why don't we trade up with the Colts? The Colts trade down to 12. They give them the 12 to 22, whatever. And then the Giants trade down with Buffalo from two to six as opposed to two to 12. And the Giants can still get a Saquon Barkley, a Bradley Chubb, or a Quentin Nelson. I do believe that the Bills are going to move up. The question is, do they have the draft capital move all the way up to two? They might have to trade even more to go up from six and then again up to two. Brandon Bean, this is a guy who just traded away in one one season, not even an offseason, gave away a former number four overall pick, Sammy Watkins, saying we don't need him. Marcel Darius, former number three pick, saying we don't need him. All focused on the 2018 draft. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I am your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was somebody named Paul Schrager. Peter Schrager <laughs> on the herd with Colin Cowherd, also on Good Morning Football on NFL Network. He's an NFL insider. Bill's trying like hell to trade up for the quarterback. This is what I've been dreaming for. It's been a cream dream of mine all offseason. That's all I want is the Bills to have a quarterback. And it's worth like what we're three weeks away until I can I can have that Ugh. a quarterback guys I, I with all of this trade up talk right off the top th- th- this is a topic that I've been kind of kicking around in different group chats with pe- people I'm friends with what do you think happens I mean I, I'll I'll put it out here like this I'll frame the conversation as such the people who call in to most sports radio shows are mostly I'd say seventy percent insufferable boobs who don't actually understand how sports work. That's just the way it goes. Are you a part of that 70% because you are Dep- you are you are a sports radio call-in guy? Depending on how many beers I've had, I can be. So, the question is this. How cuz I, I mean I'm the type of guy when I'm driving to work and when I on the on the occasions when I do listen to the talk shows on WGR, 
You know, I don't. I try not to listen before we do our show because I don't want their opinions influencing my own. What when I listen to the radio and people call in, I generally change the channel or I put on music or I do something because I would say 90% of the callers I listen to on the radio make me want to take a bite out of my steering wheel. That's how infuriatingly just bad their opinions are. They're not based in logic. They're not based with, they're not coming from people who have any kind, seemingly any kind of working knowledge of how the the league is structured and how draft capital works and how some people don't even know what the friggin' salary cap is. Remember all the people who were talking about cutting Darius? Yeah. Because, you know, we'll just eat 50 million in dead money. That's fine. We can do that. That's the guy that I used to work with. Yeah, we should just cut Darius. So when I listen to these things, And I hear all of the different fan opinions on who we should draft, what quarterback we should take, the love affair that took place last weekend on uh, uh, Sports Talk uh, Saturday with Sal Capaccio. The first 10 callers in a row were advocating for Baker Mayfield. What do you know about Baker Mayfield other than a bunch of analysts said some things, some buzzwords that got you excited about them? Well, we are meeting with Mayfield again. This is going to be our fourth meeting. Now, this is my point. I want you to take this, Chris, and give me an answer. And for those of you out here listening, I want you to really think about this. For as terrible as I think sports talk radio is because of the callers, imagine how delicious it's going to be when the Bills don't trade up. When the Bills stay at number 12 and then draft a linebacker or a defensive end or they take take a running back because someone epic fell to them. I, I could hear the heads exploding from a like I'll be in Jamaica for the draft and I'm pretty sure I'll be able to hear the outrage all the way down on the island. I'm going to be pissed if we do not <laughs> trade up for a quarterback. This is <sighs> this is the one aspect why I like taking a quarterback in this draft. It's supposedly one of the best that we've had in years. You have don't tell me 5 years from now Big Ben and Tom Brady will still be in in the NFL. I don't think they will. And outside of those two, who is the next in line to be the next best quarterback in the AFC? Derek Carr, obviously. <laughs> and like you just but, that's the hill that you've chosen to die on, isn't it? Yes, I think he's a great quarterback. Okay, he had a bad season. Watch Gruden resurrect his his fucking yeah. career. Because yeah, Gruden, Gruden's been a uh, been a quarterback guru. He has. Look at the last fifth. Outside of the Flacco Super Bowl, where they beat the Niners, every Super Bowl has been represented by Manning, Brady, or Ben, as far as the AFC is concerned. This is the year you got to go get your quarterback. That's why I like the Jets trade. If they hit on their quarterback... No one's going to remember that trade. They all oh, they traded up. They got their quarterback. That's what I want Buffalo to do. I want a quarterback in the worst way possible. Chris, you've been advocating for the Bills to lose on purpose just to get your quarterback. Exactly. I, I called tanking. I say to hell with you. Bring a, at this point. I'm rooting for anarchy. I want because I, you know what? I can't discern quarterback talent. I, I I am the guy. I've now just deemed it. You know, I've given it the title. Of the mallet incident of 2011, where I thought he was going to be the man. I thought he was a franchise-saving player, and I was proven dramatically wrong. 
So given that, I'm a horse's ass when it comes to trying to talk about quarterbacks in any way, shape, or form. So I've given up. And in this instance, I'd actually just think it would be funny. I think it would be hysterical. Would it be bad for the franchise? Maybe. To miss out on generational quarterback talent or quarterbacks in this large of a quantity that could be had, that could be your franchise guy? Maybe. But God, would it be hysterical from the standpoint of I would be glued to the radio, just basket, literally drinking up the tears of every disgruntled Bills fan out there. It would be payback for all of the shit that they put me through on a weekly basis. (laughs) Having said that, we are going to move on. We have a segment that we're going to air here, folks. First time, we're going to test it out. Like a, like a coat that you're trying on at the store. You want to see if it fits. We care about you guys. Okay? We generally we appreciate our listeners, and we really do want you guys to, you know, take some things away from us and the show that maybe help better your lives. So, this is the first installment of our own PSA type segment entitled The Rock Pile Report Cares. Do you want to hear some staggering statistics? The average age when kids start drinking alcohol is 11. Quit eyeballing me, yo woman, go fetch me a beer. Now that's hard proof that even young kids aren't too young to learn about drinking. What are you looking at me for? I'm not a bottle of Jim Beam. So teach them now before they learn on the streets. The more you know about it, the more you know you have to talk to your kids early. Because later could be too late. I got a better idea. Why don't you boys go dig a hole and I'll get another beer. Now for those of you who may not know... I'm getting married in June, and I'm going to be on a beach in Jamaica with my fiance, attending one of her friend's destination weddings. The weekend of the NFL draft. The weekend of the NFL draft. And I feel like I owe it to her to not look like a beached whale. (laughs) I mean, she's far more attractive than I deserve at this point. Oh, my God, dude. You totally outkicked your coverage. So you I, have movies, for fuck's sake. So, movies. So I owe it to her to not look like I just washed up out of the ocean, and there's going to be kids trying to roll me back into the water. I, PETA will show up, and they'll get a, they'll get a zoologist out there. I, I owe it to her to not, to not look like that. And it, it dawned on me, and maybe, I guess the advice that I want to give to you guys, don't let football make you fat. Now, I start this by saying, I've tried to get in shape. At the end of the 2017 NFL season, I weighed 232 pounds. Okay, that's, I'm, I'm 5 foot 11. That was better than 340 <laughs> or whatever you weighed when you were, of course, when you were fat and had bigger movies. Now, the craziest part about all this is that I have a fairly clean diet Monday through Friday. Bran flakes and oatmeal for breakfast every day. The same salad with tuna fish every single lunch, every single day for lunch. And I go to the gym three to four times a week. I lift, I do cardio. I'm there for an hour and a half. I I sweat buckets. I have to bring a towel because I sweat so much. Well, you are Puerto Rican and they sweat (laughs) quite profusely. If I had a bell for inappropriate comments, I would be ringing it right now. So at the end of the football season, I, I... I was, I guess, mad because I'm looking at the scale going, what the hell just happened? How did I, you know, you get, I guess when you get older and your metabolism slows down and you're not expecting it and you realize you can't eat and drink the way you used to. So I made, but but I looked at my diet and I said, well, what am I supposed to do? So I did the one thing that I thought could help. And I decided to cut beer out of my diet 
I wouldn't say out. You cut it back. Cut it back. By at least a bottle. <laughs> by at least a bottle. Well, I've cut it back by enough because here's my current stats. I'm 5'11", 222 pounds. That's 10 pounds lighter. And I'm still sitting around about 18% body fat, which is pretty good for a guy who used to be just humongous. Again, all that 18% is in your tits. <laughs> so the... But the results made me genuinely curious about how my beer drinking habits might have played into this. Now, for those of you who've never had the displeasure of watching a football game with me, there's something you need to understand. I am what they call an emotional drinker. So when I'm happy and things are going great, I like to have a cold beer in my hand. And the only way to really ensure that that happens is to kind of give your boozing a little bit of pace. You know, you got to kind of, hey, you keep it moving, you keep it moving. And as Chris can attest to, because he's witnessed it firsthand. When I'm angry, I drink even faster. As if somehow, when the bills are down, I might be able to find a touchdown somewhere in the bottom of one of these bottles. Can we, we got to our listeners, we got also got to preface it. This, is, this also includes Alabama games, too. Because <laughs> we, will, we will go on Twitter, on uh, Periscope, on Saturday nights, the day before a Bills game, and we'll generally watch a college football game, preferably Alabama if they're playing primetime, and you'll be boozing while that's going on. So this is your 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 beard thing that you came up with doesn't just include Bills games. No, it's also it's, Tuesday nights and Saturdays watching Alabama. So this is it. But 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 so to understand what it is to watch a Bills game with me, let me put it to you like this. I decided that I, I had a bunch of people over for the Cincinnati game this year, and I wasn't going to drink that much. I said, hey, listen, I'm going to take it easy this week because last week got a little out of hand. I might have come off the rails a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ease into this Sunday. I didn't open a beer until halfway through the first, peer, uh, the first quarter. I opened up a growler of Juice Caboose I, uh, IPA by Flying Bison. It was the late first, sec- early second quarter of the Cincinnati game. Four punts. They punted four times and with a single field goal. And I drank. And all of a sudden, halftime rolls around. And I look over, and that growler of beer is gone. Now, we're talking high-gravity IPA. Gone. And I just smoked my way through it in less than 45 minutes. Maybe an hour, if that. Yeah, just remember, just remember the Cincinnati game from the season, and think about how many turnovers our defense got, and that our offense couldn't do a damn thing with the turnovers that our defense was getting, and that fuels you to drink more. That our defense is showing up and creating turnovers, and our offense I mean, cannot you guys, capitalize. You guys see the videos? You think it's all fun and games? There's a lot of boozing that goes into the making of those videos. Yeah, it's real. So with this in mind, I sat down with my fiance, and with her help, she was actually really supportive of this. I think because she wanted to open my eyes to what she feels is a problem, and she wants to know what she's getting into for <laughs> the rest of her life. She helped me compile a somewhat conservative average for the number of beers I consume while I watch football, both college and NFL. I even took into account the split between craft beers, domestic beers, light beers, dark beers, and I ran the number not counting the days outside of Tuesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Okay? That's not even taking into account the food that I ate while I was drinking said beers, and the results were staggering. The caloric total of all of the beers that I consumed this football season, conservatively, 145,996. To give you an idea of what that's like, 
There's 3,500 calories in a single pound of fat. By my count, that's 41 pounds of fat in calories from beer. Just beer. And for those of you who maybe can't even wrap your heads around what that looks like, I broke it down into some comps I want to give you. 232 Whopper sandwiches from Burger King. 130 pints of Ben & Jerry's fish food ice cream. 490 slices of cheese and pepperoni pizza. 175 whole wedges of Yancey's Fancy Buffalo Wing Cheddar. So with that in mind, let me say this to you. Because the Rockpile Report cares about you. Don't let football make you fat. Okay? Don't let, you know, Sundays that maybe get out of hand, learn from my mistakes. When Sundays get out of hand and the team drives you crazy, don't look for the answer at the bottom of the bottle. Because I'll tell you, I've been there. I didn't find any touchdowns. And uh, all the, what, you, know, you know what I found? was I'm shocked I didn't gain more weight. I'm shocked that it was only 10 pounds. And, and also that I'm not actually homeless, just passed out in a gutter somewhere, looking back at all of the beer. I mean, that's wino status drinking. No, I know. Look, look we're, by my count, we're 15 minutes into our recording of, of our podcast. We have a bucket of beer between us right now on ice, five beers in the bucket, and I just grabbed the first one and opened it. <laughs> We've been doing this for 15 minutes, and Drew has not yet touched a beater. Folks, learn from my mistakes. And because we care, don't let football make you fat. Come on now. And with that, we're going to head straight into this week's Bills News Update. Chris, I'm cracking that first beer because we have to toast. Buffalo Bills legend, quarterback Jim Kelly, recently underwent another surgery because his cancer has, he he was in remission, but his cancer resurfaced. He had surgery to remove a part of his jaw and his lymph nodes and a lot of other tissue that was infected, but his surgery was deemed a success and he's almost, I believe he might actually be out of the ICU as of today. I I saw pictures on his wife's. I want to say it was Instagram, and I guess he had just recently been able to get out of bed, and there's a picture of them uh, hugging that made the rounds on Instagram. Like, it, I, I can't pull. Of another athlete that I think of that I think had similar jaw cancer was uh, San Diego Padres Tony Gwynn, and and that that cancer for him, I don't know because he he caught it too late but that just that took tony gwynn down and this is kelly's second battle with it i mean i hope he can beat this somehow again it's I mean, it's, it's, it's it, what i'll it's say incredible is that, that he's all, been able to to handle this we here at the rock power report are just happy to hear that it's a successful surgery chris cheers to jim cheers now the roster We've got some newcomers to the process here in Buffalo. The roster continues to be tweaked. The Bills have inked three new players. A lot like last season, the Bills kind of seem hellbent on fleshing out the roster with veterans at positions of need in order to build pre-draft depth. 
which seems like a smart concept. You know what I mean? I, I feel like when under the Whaley administration, we were constantly scrambling to try to use free agency to find quick patches for all of our holes. I think under Whaley, we were we were uh, f- f- go getters on free agency during day one last season, and this season were like day two, day three. These B, C, well, D players. But what I like is that, that so far two years in a row, the free agency process has set the bills up. In a way that allows us, I mean, we've addressed a lot of positions of need already. Backup running back. Yeah, but these aren't A-list free agents. Well, no. That we're But you're building the quality depth that you need to allow you to work the draft board as it falls to you. Which is intelligent GMing. Exactly. And by work the draft board, we mean take your draft capital (laughs) and trade up for a quarterback. Preferably with a huge arm from Wyoming. (laughs) Oh, my God. I hate you. I'm telling you, folks, if it happens, you're going to hear the cuss all the way from the island of Jamaica. I'm going to I'm going to when the cops show up to get me out of the pool, fully clothed, fully clothed in the swimming pool. The the police report is going to read something like a horror novel. No. Why don't we why don't we point out it's like a Dean Koontz book. (laughs) <laughs> Guy just went nuts. He just went nuts. There was chairs flying around, and he, next thing we know, he stole a bottle of rum from behind the bar, and he's in the pool, and he won't come out. We had to get one of those one of those long-handled collars that the dog warden uses and drag him out of the pool. Looking at his teeth, we were afraid he was going to bite us. I don't know. I would think it would be like the, the, the kind of thing that, that people use in Florida to get alligators out of swimming pools. <laughs> but on my on my board in my kitchen, we got our draft Seagram's bets, and it's something I made in November. I think Josh Allen is going to be a top 10 pick. I made that in November. You're going to be drinking the Seagram's when you get back from Jamaica. When it doesn't happen, my friend, I'm going to rub it in your face. So running down the new free, new free agent acquisitions for the Buffalo Bills, it starts with cornerback Philip Gaines. We talked about him a little bit last week. There are a lot of Chiefs fans out there that will tell you that they are happy to see Gaines gone. I mean, the guy is an explosive athlete, which is why the Chiefs took him in the third round of the draft three years ago. But ultimately, the guy just didn't find a role in this scheme that they employ. You know, he, he struggles with man coverage, but that's the scheme they run. And I think they thought that he would eventually develop, but he's still very raw when it comes to playing that kind of man press coverage. But as they say in the biz, one man's trash is another man's subpar role player. Wait, wait let me ask you this, because I, I, I have no idea who he, Philip Gaines is. I've heard of the name. Is he Was he a starter in Kansas City? No, he, he in fact, he was passed over. He had cracks at starting gigs and could never really nail it down. So is, is he really going to be team, a rotational guy for, well, for Vontae Davis and well, Trey White? Here's the thing. If you're looking for a... This is... When you think about Gaines as an athlete and you, you take a look at what he did well when he was in Kansas City, his athleticism gives him upside in a zone scheme if they can coach him up on it. I mean, I'll say this. I'm not going to hold out a ton of hope that he's an impact player for us. I mean, he, the, the EJ Gaines, is there's never going to be a comparison made from Philip Gaines to EJ Gaines. But he does have some upside given the fact that coming out of college, the book on him was he would thrive in a zone system. And instead, he was kind of a square peg forced in a round hole and then didn't pan out. This change of scenery might be nice for him. And if that's the case, he's younger than... Because Le- Leonard Johnson did okay for us as a nickel corner last year. 
You know, he he didn't make a lot of flash plays, but he wasn't bad. He was the epitome of what you want in a bend but don't break defense. I think their idea is Philip Gaines is younger than Johnson, and he's more athletic, which means that we might be able, if we can coach him up on this zone system that he can thrive in, we might have a cheap diamond in the rough. Now, I'll say this. He's a gamble. He's got upside. He's had injury issues. He struggled to stay healthy, and we all know how important that is to the Buffalo Bills. So I'll say this. I think he's got the upside to land a backup role on the 53 with the possibility of chipping in on special teams and maybe starting if we don't find other depth throughout the draft or free agency at nickel corner. The other acquisition we made was wide receiver Kalen Clay. Bills what, fans, he's back? Bills fans might remember that last season, the Bills traded cornerback, Doug Whaley draftee cornerback, Kevon Seymour, to the Panthers for a seventh-round draft pick and wide receiver Kalen Clay. And he went on to catch one pass before being cut and then re-signing with the Panthers. So essentially, we got a seventh-round pick out of the Kevon Seymour deal that it became part of the, I believe, Kelvin Benjamin trade. Yeah, I could be wrong. It might have been the maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was Yeah, you guys, if you know the answer, call in. Let us know. <laughs> but if none of you out there remember him, I don't blame you. I mean, Kalen Clay has speed, but hasn't proven to be able to be a reliable receiver. And at this point, his only real value comes on special teams. In that capacity, he was okay last year. I mean, he, he his averages his you know, punt punt return and kick return averages They were about middle of the pack for the NFL. He scored a touchdown with the Panthers last year. Nine games, I think, he had with them. But the guy only had six career catches. So what this looks like to me is we just signed a younger replacement for Brandon Tate. That's it. And we all saw what Brandon Tate was on our offense. Useless with a capital Y. And useless (laughs) on special teams. We haven't had a special... I, uh, I've mentioned it like almost all offseason, whether we've had uh, when we had Connor Rogers on for cornerbacks, Michael Kiss for wide receivers. We need somebody to help us in the return game. I know that seems like so far down on the chart of a need, but we haven't had like a punt return touchdown in years. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, the last punt return touchdown was against the Green Bay Packers. I was there for that game. The Bills did meet with wide receiver out of Washington, Dante Pettis, for a pre-draft visit, which is important because he can be both a wide receiver and a kick returner and a punt returner. He's dynamic at those things. Yeah, and you're only giving, what, tw- like 20-something visits? And he's a li- 30. 30 he's, visits? And he is a late-round pick-ish. So he's a guy who could inevitably fall to the Buffalo Bills, but obviously they're worried about the position enough to try to get somebody in place in the event that they don't draft a replacement. I think they signed Caitlin Clay because they knew that uh, you had a Seagram's bet on the board because <laughs> last week you said we were not drafting a wide receiver ha. at all. So if we do, you are drinking a Seagram's. The good news with both of these signings is that they came on one-year deals at veteran minimum. So it's not as though we broke the bank to acquire either one of these guys. They're long shots with upside, and it's not like we're married to them. If after camp, some rookie comes in and blows the doors off him, fuck you, get out. Goodbye. <laughs> you made some guaranteed money? All right. Get get to packing. Hopefully, hopefully you didn't leave the extended stay and rent an apartment. 
Now, the most intriguing signing of the week is defensive end and former Dolphin Terrence Fetty, I think is how you pronounce it. Fetty, Fetty. I thought it was, t- I, I saw Terrence, and in my head I just thought Teddy Fetty, and then I laughed <laughs> a lot. Get, uh, Wingfield, if you're listening, call in. Let <laughs> call us know in. the pronunciation of his name. The signing of Fetty is an interesting one. The Bills spent a solid chunk of change for a pass-rushing specialist at defensive end in Trent Williams early on in free agency. They've retained Eddie Yarbrough. They have Shaq Lawson still at defensive end. And they've still got Jerry Hughes. I mean, there's seven total players already on the roster before this signing at the defensive end position. So I, I guess the fact that they'd add another body to that prior to the draft is kind of, I don't know, interesting to me. Is it that you don't plan on drafting one and you just want upside? I mean, are you just or did you just see a guy who got released or his team didn't make a strong enough play and decided to really chase him? I don't know. Maybe you like what he offers on special teams, because if he's good at special teams, I can think of somebody that we signed that was really good at special teams. Colt Anderson, he was always injured. You're always looking for good special teamers. Well, this is that's how you can make a 53. Well, this is what I'll say. I reached because I know nothing about the guy. I reached out to our Finns correspondent, Travis Wingfield, from the Locked On Dolphins podcast, to get the skinny on Fetty. And this is what he had to say. I quote, He's a really solid rotational guy, very good on special teams, two blocked punts in 2017, quality run defender, occasionally will put together a good pass rush rep. He'll definitely make your 53. I would have liked to keep him, but defensive end is Miami's best, deepest position. Now, that makes sense, because if the Miami Dolphins recently traded to acquire Robert Quinn from the Los Angeles Rams, who needed the cap space. Oh, yeah, my God. Quinn and Mario Williams on the edge? No stopping him. <laughs> Mario Williams is a free agent heading directly to oh, he the CFL if he ever wants to play. Oh, he doesn't play anymore? No. Shocker. He went to where all players go to die, Miami. It sounds like... Fetty was just, he sounds like he's a solid guy, not all that explosive, and he was the victim of a numbers game. Given his experience and upside, it sounds like they may have landed a cheaper version of Ryan Davis, who's a little bit better against the run. And who wouldn't want that? I mean, we saved $1.6 million in cutting Davis. I I just, I, I, I think it's another quality depth signing. I, I give Bean credit. Considering the lack of real cap space that we came into this offseason with, and the fact that being, I mean, you, this is his first time being a GM. He's got all this draft prep to do. The fact that he's still out there keeping these plates, you know, he looks to me, he's the guy with the spinning plates. He's still, here's my draft picks. I got to go on these draft visits. I got to do all this stuff, but I'm still watching the free agent market over here, and I'm going to keep this plate up, and I'm going to sign cheap guys that I think can help this team or at least provide depth. I give him a ton of credit for the work that they're putting in this offseason. I mean, the first offseason of Bean's tenure has been an active one, and I think that it's I think it only gets more interesting from here. And now, on that front, I I guess I want to open up a conversation, because it does tie into the Buffalo Bills. When you look at the free agent market, The defensive tackle, which is a position of need for the Buffalo Bills, the defensive tackle market is completely stagnant. And safeties aren't finding any kind of job security. There's no safety in being a safety anymore. 
Of the 44 defensive tackles currently listed by SportTrack.com on their free agent list, only 17 have been signed to contracts. I think the most noteworthy thing about it is that only four of those players signed a deal that was longer than a single season. The Bills' five-year deal with Star Lodolele? Latulale. Star Lodolele. Latulale. It represents the biggest deal handed out to a defensive tackle this offseason. And by comparison to the top of the market, it really isn't that rich. And Sue has that one-year $14 million deal, which is the, the most money being paid out in free agency to any one defensive tackle. In all, if you average the annual value of all defensive contracts, defensive tackle contracts signed throughout the offseason so far, it comes out to $4.4 million per year. That's nothing. That's peanuts. Right? And the market has already stagnated completely. I mean, free agency has really slowed down to pretty much a halt. Free agency, free agency is primarily done until after the draft when teams well, no, no, could no. not address. Well, there's two waves. There's the first wave, the early movement, which we saw. Yeah. And then by the time you hit April, everything just stops. There's no movement. There's no talk from teams because now they're busy preparing their draft board. Yeah, but then and we, if they but then don't we, fill their needs, then when, we have the second wave of free agency. Yeah, but when they don't fill their yeah when they don't fill their needs in the draft. Yeah, then the then second wave. There's going to be another wave of people being signed to veteran minimums. But now this is the question: How far? Because there's a lot of veteran talent out there. How far are they going to have to reduce their demands before they find work? I mean, how long is it going to take for these guys to get a paycheck? I can say that at the defensive tackle position, that does make some sense. This upcoming draft class is incredibly deep at defensive tackle. I mean, there's 10 to 15, 15, I'll say, prospects who could be drafted at that position in the top three rounds. Yeah, and if you don't know of any defensive tackles that are on the Bills' radar, go go download our show from last week with uh, Russ Brown. From the Cover One podcast, he broke down the defensive tackles. But so here's the thing. Given that, it almost seems like it would make more sense to wait for the draft. Wait for the draft. And then, at that point, if you don't get a guy who's, you know, because a lot of these guys are deemed as long-term starters in the NFL. If you don't get a guy, then you go back out into free agency and see who's desperate enough to take a contract on cheap, team-friendly terms. Because that's pretty much how the second wave of free agency works. Correct, wait, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I I believe this was our first offseason as a podcast. The year that we drafted Adolphus Washington, was that not also a deep draft at defensive tackle? It was. So my point is, though, in the Bills' case, their spending at the position would seem to follow their trend of filling holes prior to the draft, allowing them to take best player available. I mean, we have Star, we have Kyle, we have Adolphus, and that's it. But... We have enough to work with that if a draft pick doesn't fall to us where we like it, you still have names out there on the on the uh, free agent market that you can go find. Okay, but there's one dynamic given that, like, because the defensive tackle decline makes sense. Safeties, I don't understand this. I can't wrap my head around it. What's going on with the market? The 2018 draft isn't exactly overflowing with talent at the safety position. Not like it was last year. 
And there is significant starting talent available out there on the free agent market. And yet at the same time, it's completely just dropped off. It's radio silence. Tyron Matthews set the bar with that one-year, one $7 million contract with Houston. So when you look at Pro Football Talk's top 100 free agent list, and you see 11 players left, four of them, I was surprised that four of them all are backstops to the defense. Eric Reed, Kenny Vaccaro, Tyvon Branch, and Trey Boston are all starting quality safeties in the NFL, and not a single one of them have a contract. So the question becomes, why are players like Trey Boston, who's coming off a career year, he's only 25 years old, last year he had 79 tackles, 8 passes broken up, and 5 interceptions. Sounds an awful lot like Jordan Poyer's year, right? Why isn't he, I mean, Sportrack took a look at his statistics, took a look at comparable contracts, and estimated he was worth $8 million a year on average. Why is he still out there? looking for work in a league that is literally dominated by passing games and defenses that can stop the pass. My question would be, what's his, um, his off the field? Does he have off the field issues? None. Zero. That would, that would be my only guess of why he's not signed. He doesn't understand either. Boston himself was recently interviewed on Sirius XM's NFL radio, and he kind of echoed this sentiment. And I'm going to, I'm going to quote him here. Just like a few of the other guys, we're just not hearing anything near what we want to hear. Not even close, Boston said. We're closer to veteran minimum than we are the seven to eight, the nine million dollar players we wanted to be two months ago or even eight months ago. It's kind of unbelievable to me. We're talking about a position that's needed more and more on the field in today's game. There are about five or six valuable starting safeties in free agency right now, but I guess it's just them in the context of the league, trying to get us to take peanuts like the rest of them have. That's just the business of the game. Now, Chris, Boston may have a point here. That's a, th- This wouldn't be the first time that we watched a, a position group as a whole just become relegated to getting paid nothing. Once upon a time, running backs used to be the most one of the most important positions on the field at any given time. Now, according to SportTrack.com, the average spending at running back is the lowest among all NFL positions outside of long snappers and full sna- fullbacks. I mean, long snappers, long snappers and fullbacks. Oh, Reed are the only players that make less on average than running backs. Well, even uh, even even though Chris, th- you can't tell me that having a good running back is not integral to an offense. And it will if you look. Well, a if you look at the Super Bowl, you have the Patriots and Eagles, and I would I would argue that they had uh, three men, like a th- like a three men uh, group there, rotating in and out. I I don't think the NFL what it was like ten years ago where you had that one bell cow back. Now it's you got to have two three running backs in your in your stable to make your running game work. That's why the, I, there's going to be a lot of running backs taken in, uh, at the end of the month in the draft. So this is what I think. I watch the increase in the salary cap, and I look at the increase at some of the skill positions. I mean, you look at what wide – I called it. I forecasted it before this free agent period that wide receivers were going to be grossly overpaid. And it happened. It happened. Quarterback pay has gone through the roof. You've got Jimmy Garoppolo. 
a five-game veteran of the NFL who is currently making, oh, what, he had five starts last year? And he's the richest player in the NFL. He is the highest paid player in the NFL. What is second, Matt Stafford? Simply because he plays the quarterback position, which is crazy to me. It, and in my opinion, the running back pay was the first cut because, simply put, teams recognized they needed to rob Peter to pay Paul on offense in order to keep quarterbacks around. And fresh running backs are always rolling out of the NFL draft. Heading into 2018, this is where it gets confusing for me. Safety pay is trending in that same direction, even though they don't have that well of talent to really dig into. And kind of running backs, running backs come out of the draft every year. You're going to have. You you can hit on a back in the fourth, fifth, sixth round. Safeties? Safeties are incredibly hard to pin down. There's guys who get taken in the first round who never pan out. There's guys who get taken in the third and fourth who become long-term starters. It's a complete crapshoot. So knowing that, and given the fact that both positions are absolutely necessary, it seems crazy to me that the league itself is willing to rob Peter to pay Paul in a way that just kind of relegates both of these positions to nothing. Bill's fans saw firsthand how valuable it was having Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde backstopping our defense. And I guarantee you, most people would agree that it would be worth paying them more than the combined $6.5 million they're scheduled to make this year. But it seems like the league as a whole might be looking to leave the safety position kind of in the same place as the re- they're going to become the new running backs of the defense <laughs> in terms of pay. That's a trend worth watching because you take a look at, I don't know, Players should have been prepared for this because it wasn't that long ago that Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas both held out. You know, Seattle Seahawks safeties, great safeties, held out because they felt that they were underpaid. And they were each making 4 to $5 million a year. Before that, it was Dolphins star Rashad Jones. And before that, it was Detroit veteran James Ahedabo. And he actually had a cup of coffee with the Buffalo Bills. All of these safeties have been holding out year after year after year. So is it any sh- because they feel like they're underpaid? Is it any shock to see that the league is finally just said, okay, this is the year we do it. We're just not paying any of these guys. Considering how little our current safety tandem is making, just one year removed from long-term deals, that they're clearly outperforming. And taking into account a market that isn't doing free agents at the position any favors, It's hopefully something that Brandon Bean has on the fringes of his radar. Because think about it. If you're a player and you know know that both of you should have made the Pro Bowl, and you know that you are one of the most important units on the entire defense, are you or are you not going to want to get paid like it? If I'm Poyer and um, Hyde, I would have wanted a pay raise after... At the end of the season. Okay. Because they, so, they deserve They Don't tell me that they did not deserve it because so they did. When do you have more leverage? When you're currently under contract or when you're stuck on the free agent market looking for a job? Uh, I would say when you're under contract. So if I was a disgruntled player who's outperforming my paltry salary at the position, considering how important I am to the team's success, maybe that's something worth holding <laughs> an out eye on because... This could precipitate a holdout by one or both of our safeties. 
And it's just something that I saw. I thought it was interesting. And I thought I'd bring it to the podcast just to put on everyone's radar. You don't have to keep an eye on it. It's not. I'm not saying it's imminent. But it's a trend in the NFL that I find disturbing, to be honest with you. I really don't understand it. You don't want unwanted tension <laughs> at a position that's so important to our team's success. Right, Chris? Sure. And that, folks, brings us to this week's Rock Power Report draft series. This week, we're focusing on linebackers. With all the roster reshaping that's taken place and all the free agent signings that have gone on, it's worth noting that the one position of need on the roster that is still outside ba- of quarterback that is still badly needing an infusion of talent is the linebacker core. Now, last season, our defensive tackle group was one of the thinnest in the NFL. And even with the signings of Starlotalele and uh, Kyle Williams coming back into the fold, that group doesn't have a ton of depth that just, I don't know, that means anything. So I, I guess what I'm thinking of a perfect NFL roster is having a linebacker behind those guys who in and of himself has some talent to make some plays. Like a Luke Keekley. Now, it's worth noting that the Bills, as of today, have already spent three of their 30 pre-draft visits with uh, Boise State's Leighton Van Der Esch, Georgia's Roquan Smith, as well as BYU's Fred Wagner. And they brought in four other free agent linebackers for visits. It's clear that the team recognizes that there's a need at that position and that they have to do something to address it. And I think that the draft presents a very low-cost opportunity to do so, which is why I really think that's where we're going to go. And with that, I'm going to bring in our next guest who's going to help us work through the draft class to kind of try to figure out who might fit I don't know, fit a role here for the Buffalo Bills and who Bills fans can get used to. Mr. Deontay Lee of thepostcorner.com. Deontay, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Not too bad. Now, Deontay, you were recommended to us by Mark Schofield from Inside the Pylon. I know you've been doing some work with those guys. How's that been going? It's great. So really the big project every year at ITT is the draft guy. And I joined almost specifically in that capacity to kind of help out the draft guys with the linebackers. So um, for those of you guys who are really into the draft um, and maybe don't have all of the disposable time to go look and follow at the combine and interview and all the updates and stuff like that, I would really recommend uh, that you look into uh, purchasing a pre-ordering draft guide. But that's really kind of the meat of the work that I do over at ICP. Um, and I, other than that, I mean, most of the film work and stuff like that that you'll see me post now, you'll find on postpointer.com, uh, my website. Now, you yourself played football. That much is apparent. Just from reading your bio, kind of getting to understand. So i got to ask, from your playing days, what is it that from playing football led you to this, what you're currently doing today? I just an appetite really to stay involved and try to find another avenue. Um, it's funny, before I really got into writing about football heavily, I was kind of a nerd for music. And one thing you find in other entertainment industries is that people all the time get into 
whatever their whatever their passion is and try to be the main thing or, or try to be like the big person in that in that craft. And then eventually you kind of find out um, as you develop that you might have an interest in that craft, but it might be expressed in another way. And I kind of feel like after I finished playing football, um, one of the things I thought I really had a skill with was with writing about it and explaining it. And I think that the, the internet kind of offers me a niche where I can really work on that. Well, so then you coached after you yeah. played. Right. What did you learn in coaching young kids about how to play the position? Um, number one, I think, well, one thing I think almost any former player finds out is how much you eventually turn into second nature. So you almost have to cheat yourself at the same rate that you're teaching the kids every intricacy. Some guys are really, really good at kind of articulating every little detail, going straight from playing the coaching. But one thing that I've definitely noticed is that the best coaches that are former players got to that point because they retaught themselves every little intricacy and then found a way to relay that to younger kids who may not be as exposed to all of all of the things that may come up in a game on a game of game basis. Well so after <laughs> the, everything that you know about football, I mean this okay. is incredible. So you've been working on some projects. You've got inside the pylon and you founded the postcorner.com. Now right. I've read a couple of your articles. You you're just getting up off the ground. What is it mm-hmm. that you want your site to be? Uh, for me, um, like you said, I mean, there's a few things that I'm working on. I the tagline on it is 360 degree football analysis, and that's really I'm spending some time now trying to figure out exactly how I want to express that. So there's some analytical stuff I'm starting to look into. Um, I've been looking into other sports and kind of how they use analytics uh, and trying to figure out what I can take from there to try, try to innovate in this sport. Um, from that to film review, which is something I'm pretty good at because I, I can speak the language in that as a coach. Um, and then all the draft stuff as well. So all the work that I've been doing with ITP and before that when I was with uh, when I was with Raiders bloggers over at just blog baby on fan sided. Um, when I first linked up with Jessica Mosqueda and Charles McDonald and was setting the edge and worked with them, like I've been kind of trying to take a little bit that I can from all these different angles um, and trying to kind of put all that aggregated and put it all together and present it on the site. So I would say you can expect a little bit of everything. It might be stats one day, it might be video another day, it might just be a, an interview or just kind of like an accumulation of quotes. Um, I'll try to I'll try to approach it from as many different angles as possible. So Deontay, personal yes. question time. For our listeners, every time we interview somebody new on the show, I don't know. We I want to get to know you as a person. I mean, that's the whole vibe of our show is conversationalism. So right. first and foremost, what is your favorite NFL team? I'm oh, sorry, can you repeat that for me? What is your favorite NFL football team? That would be the 2018 Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, 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 oh I'm, hey. the West, I'm the West Coast. You're an Eagles fan. At least you didn't say Patriots. You I said Patriots. Love it I would have hung up on you again. <laughs> what, a, what a dick. We hate, the, right. we hate New England over here. 
<laughs> that would have been great if I would have been asleep or cell and Mark would have talked me up all the way here just like come right. in. Right, just, just going to tuck you in bubble. and then all of a sudden, right. a Patriots fan out of nowhere. Right. So I've got to ask, being a fan of that football team, obviously your best moment was this season, winning, winning mm-hmm. the Super Bowl. What right. was one of your worst personal moments as being an NFL football fan? Oh, that's tough. What one of the, the things, worst when, when you think about the worst thing that you could, when, when How says, could this be when tough? It's, it's got to be the Wentz injury. Uh, I mean, I'm, I get to rationalize that with jewelry now. So, <laughs> so it's, uh, it's not so bad, you know. They ended up winning the Super Bowl. Um, at least I haven't heard anything. I guess we'll see as mini camp rolls around. If there are setbacks and it's not looking too hot from a recovery standpoint, then I would be a little concerned. Um, but I guess the worst moment as a pro fan has probably got to be watching the decline of the Andy Reid and Donovan McNabb era and that flame out with the Dream Team in 2011, 2012, I think. The Dream that was, uh, Team. That Asimwa. was a really, really rough thing to experience as, uh, as an Eagle. Namdi Asamoah. Was it? Was that? Was that part? Of, was that To part of that? Because we did get, we did give uh, To a key to the city over here. <laughs> no, that was uh, that was post Terrell Owens. That was when we spent money on pretty much every premier position, and then moved an offensive line coach to defensive coordinator to coach them all up, and it went about the way that anyone could guess it would. <laughs> Hey, listen, I, I've, I've been, we're Bills fans. We've seen some shit, some crazy I can shit. I can imagine. So, they make documentaries out of some of the pain the Buffalo's been exactly. through. Exactly. So now when it comes to game day, Sundays, NFL, NFL game day, what is your routine? Well, how do you, how do you personally prefer to watch the game of football? Uh, I think a lot of it depends on how high stakes a game the Eagles are playing in. Um, usually if they've got, if they've got Sunday night, if they got Sunday night, I usually spend most of the morning trying to watch it socially. And then once you kind of get to, uh, the noon hour, not the noon hour games, but the afternoon games right before, right before Sunday night, that's when I kind of start phasing everybody out. <laughs> um, and then I'll really kind of lock in around whatever, whenever the Eagles game is. So I would say the house has got to be as close to empty as possible by the time Philly plays. But other than that, and I'm I'm there to have as good a time as anyone else on a Sunday. See, I love you because I'm the opposite. I want my house as full of people as possible when the Bills play, so they can all hear me just scream at the TV. <laughs> so, what is your favorite food and beer? Favorite food? That's a good question. Uh, favorite food. I'm trying to establish what kind guy. of guy we're I'm talking to. What's guy. your favorite food and what's your favorite beer to drink during football? During football, favorite food? I'll go taco. I'll keep it regional. I'd say tacos out here. Tacos? Right. Yeah, I'd go with well, like out tacos. There on the West Coast, you probably get them. Kind of I was going to say, out there on the catered. West Coast, you get them real good. Yeah, anything, anything like that is usually really good. Um, I don't know if you guys that have beer in Buffalo, but uh, on the West Coast they have Ballast Point, and we do have Ballast. Prob- we, we do have Ballast Point out here. Not not all, not their whole library of alcohol, right. but I, I I have heard of it before. And as uh, me, uh, I actually I actually my day job I work in the brewing industry, and I know of Ballast Point. 
Yeah, I really, I, I'll usually get like a, a six pack of that. Um, you can get one with, you can get one with a pretty good ABV and, and really chill out with the six pack. Not gonna lie, we talked earlier in the podcast. Over the course of twenty three weeks of football, I drank one hundred and forty five thousand nine hundred ninety six calories worth of beer on <laughs> Sundays, Saturdays, and Tuesdays when we recorded our podcast. It turns out. Me drinking beer, watching football is a bad thing. It's real bad. <laughs> and yet somehow I'm, I found my way back to 222 pounds. Hey, man. <laughs> that's kind of, I guess that's all. That's the off-season and in-season kind of cycle right well, there. Well, that's it. I, I, was, I, I thought it was crazy until I started, started calculating it. So right. as we get here to talk about linebackers, class overview, just taking a broad look at the linebacker class as a whole. How many of these guys do you think will get taken in the first round? I mean, I've seen just the two names mentioned. What do you think? Um, I mean, usually there's not as much misinformation at this position as you might see with some uh, with some others. You know, especially like on offense, you might get some misinformation on how many guys the NFL may think are first round guys. Um for linebackers, it seems pretty clear that there's a that there's a tier one with Tremaine Edmonds and Roquan Smith. So those are the surefires. And then everybody else, I mean, they don't all exist within the same kind of tier um, as one another. But you can kind of see that there's enough of a drop off to where some of the borderline guys like Leighton Vander Esch and Rashawn Evans um, and guys like that will probably be looked at as better value picks day two, the later in day two they can get. All right. Well, see, that's that's been my problem with trying to grade this class overall. I mean, they really don't feature a lot of number I, – I guess what I could quote is day one starters, as Doug Wade right. would call them. I mean, how many of the guys in this class do you think could stroll in here and start for an NFL team? Well, that's where it kind of gets interesting because the linebacker as a concept is changing. So it all kind of depends on what you on what you want to do as a defense. Like I know, I have I had a fascination with Carolina uh, when Cam was kind of at peak Cam. So I got to see a lot of Sean McDermott defense, and I know at least from watching them that at the linebacker position, he'd really prefer having two guys that are every down players, and then making all the sub packages work around kind of those two tent poles, do it all types. Um, so from that perspective, if you're looking for a three down linebacker, you probably are still looking at just Roquan Smith and Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, there's potential with a few other guys that we'll probably get into like a Jerome Baker or Fred Wagner, if he develops right and a Leighton Vander Esch, if you put him in the right spot, um, but there's no real solid guy outside of round one that I think you could legitimately look at and say that by the end of their rookie contract or maybe a, a year or two into their rookie contract that they'll be day one starters. That's See, now that's super interesting to me. Now, as you said, I mean, we're going to start talking about guys that I'm interested in. First and foremost, Roquan Smith, middle linebacker out of Georgia. The Bills currently sit at 12. I think we, you and I can both agree that Roquan Smith is probably the top linebacker in this class, correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. The thing I like about him is that he's scheme versatile. 
I mean, he right. play, the, the guy played wide receiver in high school. Right. But he's got those speed and change of direction skills, and he can cover in space because of his experience playing wide receiver. Right. Now, what I'll say is that he also brings a rare physicality for a guy who has that background to playing the running game. Correct. Now, in my opinion of him, again, I watch a lot of SEC football, Alabama fan. Uh He doesn't seem to be great at taking on blockers. And that seems to be the only kind of chink in his armor. Right. I mean, how I do you say, view Roquan Smith? Uh, that's probably about. I mean, if you to take kind of like the the ten thousand foot view, I, I would say that that's a pretty good look at what what you'd be getting out of him. You know, you're looking at a pretty close to elite athlete in terms of change of direction, acceleration, agility, um, range from sideline to sideline, and all of those things. And that lends itself to being able to project that he'll be a great coverage player in space. Um, because you're not going to have as many athletic mismatches when you have a linebacker that can play at the athletic level that he can play at. I, I will say that you can see on tape that there are some times where you you are left with a little to be desired with this physicality and tight spaces, um, how he takes on blocks, how he sheds blocks, his extension, where his hands are placed, all those kind, all the kinds of minutiae with that. And every linebacker kind of comes with a different style with how they want to take on blocks. Certain guys are coached different things. Um, so I try to take all that into account, but I will say that that is something that's not necessarily a minus and maybe like a net zero, um, because there are some plays and things I look at that I don't always like. Uh, but I think that his athleticism will afford him a chance to kind of be moved in places where he is going to be stressed in his problem areas the least and where he can kind of really maximize what he does well. So moving on to another prospect that I feel like is kind of in that bubble first round second round kind of group mm-hmm. one of my boys Rashawn Evans middle linebacker out of Alabama right. now the guy is athletic enough to play middle linebacker in a 4-3 right right but I don't think he's an explosive athlete if you can right. say that and I my perception of him is that his diagnosis skills can kind of be a step behind. He's he's over aggressive sometimes when it comes to the rushing attack. Right. Which reminds us of a former Bills linebacker. Reggie Ragland? And current Dolphins linebacker, <laughs> Kiko Alonso. I was way off. In the sense that he has he kind of he has he has athletic ability. He right. just doesn't have a lot of sense in terms of rushing lanes and not over pursuing your gap because sometimes Mm -hmm. you forget your assignment over pursuing something that you think you see and you create a crease for the running back right and then Rashawn has his injury history groin pulls he's got nagging injuries I mean what I guess ultimately my over my personal overview of Rashawn Evans is that he's a linebacker who could play in a 4-3 he could play in a 3-4 whatever position he plays in he's going to be solid athletically but he's not going to he's not going to wow you he's not going to make a lot of flash plays I mean does that fit with what you've seen during your research 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. And how I would tie it back into what we were talking about between day one starters and round one guys, um, I think that the dividing line between these guys is really just ceiling versus floor. So when you're looking at like a Tremaine Edmonds and Roquan Smith, guys that could be taken in the top half of the first round, you're talking about guys that do bring a good enough skill base, a good enough skill base to where you can be comfortable with planning them in any position. Um, and then they have the explosive athleticism that's going to allow them to go to the next level. So that, I think that that's what makes those guys tier one guys. And then you look at a Rashawn Levins and Leighton Vanderesh, and I look at those guys as high floor guys. You know, you're going to get a certain amount of production and consistency and level of play from those guys because they, to a certain degree, they look like they've been born to play the position. Now, this is all that they kind of know is playing the position. Um, <laughs> but I don't see the athleticism that's going to allow them to step forward into the next level. Maybe they'll be starter guys. Maybe they see two, three contracts as NFL players, um, but they may not get to a Pro Bowl level. You know, they might just be one of those franchise mainstays um, with consistency. Um, like Ray Maluga and, type. Exactly. Exactly. Keith that's, Rivers. Those that, kinds well, of those guys. Are the types of, we had Keith Rivers here for a cup of coffee with the Buffalo Bills. Guess mm-hmm. what? He, we, sometimes I forget he was even there. Exactly. <laughs> so, so then I guess I, this is where the show gets interesting because we're going to get into the later round prospects where the, I mean, we all understand what's at the top of the draft. Mm-hmm. Leighton Van Der Esch. Now, this is a guy that I, I'm not going to lie to you. I used to be a big Boise State fan because they'd mm-hmm. always make it to four. They'd always make it to four in the, uh, uh, the rankings and never make a, a premium bowl game. <laughs> so I like Boise State, but explain right. to me what it is you think Van Der Esch is at this point in his career. Uh, I mean, he's probably a first and second down linebacker, which is perfectly fine. He'll play on base rundowns. Um, I think his diagnosis ability is fine. I think his punch at the point of attack is fine. He's shown good enough tackling skills and space to let you know that he can play a variety of different run schemes from a bunch of different fronts and, and meet all of his assignments. Um, but the same thing, you know, he's not an explosive athlete. I don't know how, how well he'd cover in space. Um, it's funny, the D.C. at Boise State actually was my linebacker coach when I was playing at Sacramento State. So I'm pretty familiar with what they'd like to do defensively. And I know mm-hmm. that within that schematically, Van Der Esch looks, looks pretty good because there are ways to kind of scheme around well, yeah, not yes. having the most naturally gifted linebacker. And I think you see that a lot with their pressure packages, how they cover around him, yes. how he gets to plug lanes. You know, he gets to play really, really downhill in ways that make him look very, very good. Um, and it helps playing in the Mountain West where you're getting a whole bunch of downhill teams, pro-style types of teams. So that's right up his wheelhouse. That's really where you'll see him. It, it makes for a very clean projection to the NFL. So, ultimately, though, he's not a guy who's ever going to be a starting middle linebacker in the NFL. Spot starter, I'd say. Spot, spot starter. starter. But yeah, long-term if, if there's a guy that's down or if you had a hole at a spot, you could plug him in and he'll give you replacement level success uh, or replacement level production at the position. But I don't think you're going to be blown away at all. So, speaking of being blown away, here's a guy that I want to talk to you about. A guy that I'm intrigued, and and the Bills brought him in for a visit, Fred Warner. Now, mm-hmm. 
Fred Warner has been compared by some pundits to Cardinals linebacker Dion Buchanan. But that, in my mind, might not be the best thing in the entire world. I mean, he has the speed to play in coverage, but he doesn't have experience playing the deep safety or playing in coverage. I I don't know. He's a jack-of-all-trades, but a master of none. Right. Right. I would say... And I would say I think outside of like those very top upper crust guys, he's the one I might be the most intrigued by because he was used more versatilely, I'd say, than any other linebacker that I've looked at so far in this draft class. Um, Whenever they were spread sets, he was flexed out almost like a big nickel. And it looked like they were leaving him pretty much to man up a number two or number three receiver more times than not. And that's not something that you see very often against slots with linebackers. No, not um, at all. I mean, he doesn't have yeah. prototype size to play linebacker. I mean, exactly. He's he's exactly. thin. He's he has a thin frame. He's a right. he's not a he's not a quote unquote undersized guy. He's no. just built very differently from most linebackers. Yeah. He has a thin frame. His muscle, his weight is very evenly distributed instead of being top heavy or bottom heavy. Right, he looks like he looks like a like a normal maybe box safety would. Exactly. Maybe a big or maybe a bigger, a little bit bigger box safety would. This um, is my problem with like a like a uh, uh, what uh, what just say Byron Scott. Byron, you get the fuck out of here with Byron Scott. He's <laughs> you just said box safety. That's he what, my hold. mind went to Byron Scott. Byron Scott couldn't hold Fred Warner's jock. Okay, <laughs> so to me the problems with this guy are this. He lacks a defined position. I mean, he's too yes. big and slow to play safety. Right. But he's not an ideal fit to be an in-the-box linebacker. Correct. So, essentially, this guy has to go to a has to go to a team who's going to be very versatile in how they use him. Essentially, right. he's got to be a he's got to be a Swiss Army knife. One of the right. he's, he's special package linebacker. Yes. Whatever your specialty sub package is, that's the kind of guy that you're plugging in to take out your run stopping linebacker, and he's going to cover whatever hole is there. Now I've got a couple. Guys, now I'm interested because he visited the Buffalo Bills, and now mm-hmm. I've got a couple a couple names that didn't that I just want to ask your opinion on because they mm-hmm. really do intrigue me. First and foremost, Malik Jefferson out of Texas. I'll, I'll I'll level with you. I don't watch a whole lot of big Big Twelve football because there's no defense in the Big Twelve outside of <laughs> Oklahoma State or Oklahoma. I didn't. I mean, watch it's really a whole not that, that compelling a conference outside of no. the top two or three teams. It's it's exciting in the sense of the scoring and the style of play. If you just need kind of some eye candy as a football fan, it's always good to watch, but you are not going to find much compelling or of national importance in the, in a regular old big 12 conference game. So then you tell me, what is it about Malik Jefferson that has everybody believing he's going to be a second round pick? Um, I think with Malik Jefferson, a lot of it is Q rating. So he's he's recognizable amongst guys that kind of exist in the space between high school recruiting to college play to the NFL draft prep into like your early NFL career because he was a like one of those high highly touted recruits goes to the big school plays linebacker there. He's been a starter, getting heavy snaps pretty much every year of his career. So I, I think it's a recognizability thing to go with kind of like his raw ability. 
that gets people talking. But for me personally, I don't see it. And I know that guys like that that kind of have that sort of profile normally get overdrafted. And I would be very, very careful about tying what you expect of him with where he's drafted. I've seen him rated as high as a second round pick. Do you think that's a reach? That's I, I would say that's a reach. All right. It, the ta- I mean, the tackling skills are real. I'm not everybody's a believer in PFF's method for grading everything, but when I took a cursory look over the rankings of their linebackers before I started watching everybody, uh, I wasn't sure if you really had the, the missed tackle issue that they that they had charted. And then I watched, and it's true. He's not not a natural tackler. Um, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's technique, stance, mindset, or his approach to tackling, whatever the case may be. But there are some definite technical and technical and maybe physical issues with him tackling. I don't know what it is, but he, he it seems like he never completes a tackle out in space by himself. Ooh, see, that's a problem. Is, is that like Puzlesny? <laughs> that was my problem with Puzlesny. <laughs> Everyone loves Puz. Everyone's like, oh, pause. He gets so many tackles. And I said, yeah, he tackles everybody six yards downfield. <laughs> good. Great. What is and that that's worth? actually that's a really good corollary because pause is a guy that was very familiar because he played. He had played linebacker for so long at yep. a big school and people become very familiar with you and you make a couple all conference or all American teams. And then the expectations go way above what they should be at the NFL level. Exactly. So now I've got two names I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you just to get your feedback on them because, for me, they're interesting. First and foremost, Josie Jewell. Now, first of all, he's, he's a weak side middle linebacker prospect out of Iowa. Mm-hmm. When I see this kid, I think of uh, a boy named Sue. I think of the Johnny Cash song, Your Name is Josie. There's a reason you're a there's a reason you're a linebacker. You like right. to hit people. Why? Because right. your name is Josie. I'm sorry. Because right. you got brought up with that mentality of you're either going to crush everybody or they're going to crush you, and that's it. Right. <laughs> so I've watched a lot of Iowa over the last few years because they've gotten mm-hmm. some prime time games, and they've also gotten some notable games in the. Like last last year's game against OSU. Oh yeah, they beat Jewel. Ohio State by like oh what? By like twenty seven. <laughs> Jewel was I huge. I don't enjoy game. seeing many losses, but watching Ohio State just get pants by Iowa on primetime television Thank by you. far might have been my favorite thing See, of the season. I, I like you more and more as we keep talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> so for Josie, my diagnosis on him, just watching all of the all the games I've watched him play in, my takeaways are this. And like I said, they're, they're, they're just kind of at a glance. Right. Solid tackler. It looks mm-hmm. like he really does have that vision when it comes to running plays. But he also shows some athleticism in space. I mean, it looks like even though he's not the fastest guy, it just looks like he's – I mean, he finished with six interceptions. He, he understands what he's doing. As a linebacker in space. Right. And he plays in a conference where it's kind of a gun show. Like, everyone shows up to throw. These weird right. gimmick offenses. That That's where a guy like that can shine. He's a tiny guy, by my measure. 6'1", right. 235. Right. So, 
he really has to find a defense where he can fit behind guys who are going to keep him clean in order to make plays. Now, Correct. what do you think about this guy? And that that kind of fills it in. I mean, he's another one of those guys, another one of those kind of like high floor guys. He might not have the exact kind of talent as Rashawn Evans or the other guys we talked about as being high floor guys, but he's a hard nosed linebacker. You know, I I hate to throw out the cliches, but it's true when you watch him play. I mean. Iowa did a pretty good job of keeping him clean more times than not, and you got to see what he can do when he's not stressed to have to be a great athlete in order to make plays. Um, and I would say, I mean, I've looked at his combine results. The 40 isn't impressive, but you see a sub-7 in the three-cone and low fours in the short shuttle, and it kind of makes sense. You know, his change of direction skills actually aren't bad. His ability to be flexible and get through blocks and make tackles at awkward angles, like you can see all of that on film, so it makes sense seeing him kind of test that out. He just doesn't have top-end speed, so there's not a lot that you may be able to ask of him. Um, but if your role is – if you can define a role as, hey, you know, we've got a good one-tech and three-tech, we're going to pop you right here in the A-gap, and you just keep yourself clean, or maybe you're in the weak side B, you just keep yourself clean – Make a tackle when it presents itself. You know, we'll play you on rundowns or you can cover fullbacks in case they do pass. And that's about it. You know, there's really nothing that would keep him from being successful. You know, if nothing else, he'll be a good depth piece. He, he would be a really good organizational piece. Um, the kind of guy that can contribute on special teams and all that kind of stuff as well. So. Now, here's a guy that I see. Now, they, I, I'm not going to lie. I want Jewel for the Bills mm-hmm. in the late rounds of this draft. I mm-hmm. like him. Here's a guy I have questions on because I feel like he has a skill set that could replace one of our, one of our current starters. Even though he is that, be- is that Ramon Humber? <laughs> oh well, fuck Ramon Humber. Ramon Humber, in my mind, I mean that guy's ninety years old. He needs to get the hell out of here. There's a guy right now for Indiana who I think has a skill set that could kind of put a Bills. I don't know. He's a fan favorite. And he plays a prominent role in this defense, playing a Sam linebacker in our right. occasional overfronts and that strong side linebacker position to great right. scales. What do you see in scales when you watch him play? Scales is a guy, is another one of those guys that I see placed everywhere within the box. And he produces really well. Um, I could see him playing as a Sam. I would like him as a Will as well. Um He's got pretty good range. He can play downhill. He can get over the top and get any kind of outside run. He's not afraid to step up if there's a lead blocker or pulling coming, puller coming through. Um, I like his tackling ability. I watched his game versus Penn State and Ohio yes. State. You know, yeah. And I was I was watching those games and I was he's like, you know, I mean, he's not he's not blowing me away, but he's I'm definitely taking note of the kind of plays that he's able to make. What I in like the different about, positions he ends up in and how he's What I like about them. a guy like Scales, I guess, is that he's steady. He's that guy yeah. that you know that if you if you just keep keep betting on him long enough, you're gonna win. Right. And that's right. it. It's like listen, it doesn't matter what the offense throws, you bet on this guy long enough, you'll win because exactly. he's gonna get his plays. Right. And when he does, he'll finish. Right. And I think it's really interesting for the Bills as a franchise because there's still so much up in the air with what you guys will do with your first round. But if if the decision is ultimately made to move up high and and sell on the two picks, those are the kinds of players between uh, Warner and 
and Scales and Jewel and Jerome Baker. And those are the types of guys that I think that you can make you can make a note of on your draft on your bigger board and say if they're around in the mid rounds, you know they'll they'll fill the role perfect they'll fill they'll fill roles perfectly within the defense and we won't have to sweat too much not getting the best of the best in the class. So so I guess that brings me to my some closing questions. First mm-hmm. and foremost, aside from the players that we've already talked about, who are some of your favorite prospects? Or I guess just players that Bills fans might be interested in and want to kind of familiarize themselves with pre-draft because they might fit our scheme. So if I had to say defensively, I mean, a guy like Maurice Hurst I think would help. Um, He would add some versatility to your interior defensive line spot. Um, I mean, I'm a linebacker, so I'm, of course, a little bit biased in one direction, but I do recognize the fact that most to both stopping the run and playing the pass is having the right guys up front and he's one of those guys you can plug and play wherever so I would look at someone like him you know what it turns out to be and if he slides on a little bit of uh, trepidation by NFL front offices to draft him high because of his heart condition you know then that's a guy you can maybe sneak into getting you know on day two you know where it looks like a risk for you but you're actually getting a really productive guy on a steal um, that kind of guy, I would say an interior, any kind of interior defensive lineman that shows that kind of versatility. I really like him. We'll see where Vey is going to be. He's probably going to be overdrafted as well. Um, but if he takes a slide and you guys still have 12 and 22, I would look at him towards the middle, middle, middle third of the draft. Um, outside of that, I mean, DB, I mean, McDermott does a lot of stuff to kind of scheme, scheme the strengths of DBs. He doesn't really like to leave guys on island too much if that's not what they do well. Um, so we'll see, you know, we'll see. I, I don't think, and I don't think that the first round will be something that the Bills will be looking at to fill that position anyhow. And outside of that, I mean, maybe you sneak a Minka Fitzpatrick. <laughs> oh my God! What your quarterback hey, room hey, looks like? If we fuck, fuck a quarterback, if we could get Minka Fitzpatrick, I'd go without a quarterback. <laughs> that dude is amazing. So I, I, I was gonna ask I, you. I, I love him as a player. I was gonna ask you. You just mentioned Hurst. If the Bills were to get Hurst, what does his skill set do to open up uh, linebackers as, as far as? Uh, getting to the quarterback so really i mean what you look at so this is actually something that you'll see uh justice mosqueda talk about a lot with setting the edge you know where he talks about like the most important people to to a run game and pass game are the are the the nine guys up front you know the four defensive linemen the five offensive linemen um when you have a great player at at the three tech position for example what it does to keep linebackers clean is huge because you're if they can eat up just enough space in the B gap to force a lineman to have to turn his body all the way and direct all of his physical attention to that guy, now I've got a clean read one way or the other on whichever way the play is going. That's kind of where those guys are important. That's why uh, the Rams decided to go strength on strength and pick up Ndamukong Sue to go with Aaron Donald because they know they have a linebacker hole. So instead of overpaying like they had for Alec Ogletree, They'll go ahead and pick up another guy to play D-tackle, and now you can mix up fronts, and those guys will, will attract so much attention that linebackers get better by default because they're eating up so much so much of, of, of the physical space up front. So that's why I'd, I'd like a guy like Hurst. You know, you have, 
you have Star there, you know, he's somebody who's versatile as well. He's trying to show that. Um, and it seems like McDermott's scheme really works well when you have guys that can affect the run and rush the passer from the inside. You know, Kwan Short was able to be extremely productive um, and, and on third downs with McDermott in Carolina. And that's kind of what I would see for a guy like Hurst. So I guess my closing question is this to you. The Buffalo Bills seem like they're set up to try to trade up the board to get a very good quarterback. Right. My last question is, are there any late-round players that you think will be available in the event that we sell all of our top three rounds worth of draft capital in order to move up and get that quarterback prospect? Do you think that there's going to be anybody there who might be able to fill that linebacker void for us? Maybe in the late rounds. Because we watched Matt Milano get drafted out of Boston College in the fifth round last year and inevitably earn a starting role in this defense. Yeah, let's not forget you hated Milano. I hated the pick. I hated the whole draft. I'm not going to lie to you. I hated the entire draft. And I'm... All of them except for Zay Jones, because of the quarterback, turned out to be studs. And right. I, so I'm I'm an asshole, which is why I don't like doing this stuff. Because I, I like talking to experts, or at least people who understand what they're talking about. Because I think I know right up until I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say, I mean, like I had mentioned, I mean, everything is with you guys as far as the draft strategy is up in the air with the trade. But I would say... A guy, a guy that we had just talked about in Fred Warner should be definitely circled in red ink if he trade up. Um, I, I don't, I don't imagine that he'll have enough buzz come around draft day to go in the late day two range. You know, I think that he's firmly kind of a fourth round, maybe early fifth type of guy that you might be able to sneak. Um, him, I mean, we hadn't talked about Jerome Baker, but when I look at him, I look at him a lot in the same light that I look at Warner. And I actually think he's a little bit more refined. You know, he's a guy that can play on pass downs and goes flex out against guys that might be a matchup problem, whether it's a running back or a smaller tight end, you know, or a slot receiver, and he should be able to hold his own. Um, and then outside, I mean, outside of that, I mean, most of the other guys I would expect would probably be gone outside of maybe scales as well. I would say that those three would probably be the guys I would really be looking at between rounds four, rounds three and six, really, I would say. If you, if you could get one of those guys, you could probably feel pretty confident, you know, that you're, you're getting them on, on decent value. Deontay, thank you so much for showing up tonight and just coming out to help us kind of parse through a position that I have really, I'm just kind of starting to learn. Right. Well, oh, wait, Deontay, well, let's, get down, let's get down to brass tacks here. The, the reason that we have we that we reach out to people to come onto our show to talk about certain positions is that in 2011, Drew Gear is a guy that thought, oh Ryan Ryan Mallet is going to be a world beater at quarterback. Drew, you don't know what you're talking about. We need to have people on that know what they're talking about. And so you you don't luckily this week we got you spew bullshit hey, like this. So thank you. That's for, all right. Thank that's you right. for coming you know on. Because I have pushed all my chips into the middle of the table on Deshaun Watson, and if he doesn't look like the quarterback that he was before he tore his ACL, I'm going to have a lot of egg on my face. Yeah, you but know, I'll tell you, just a kind of kind of dicey roll. But I'll say this: having watched him play two national title games, 
that dude can deal. That guy is a he's a thrower. Yeah, yeah don't get me wrong. I think he's a, he's a real deal quarterback. <laughs> All right, De- Deontay, where can we find you on Twitter? And uh, uh, I guess what do you have on going as I, far I, as as thing. far as the so, uh, so NFL ask, draft? And before you get into that, I gotta ask. So you're you're gonna start your? I, I've seen the postcorner.com. Mm-hmm. You started putting some content up there. Mm-hmm. And I see a link for a podcast. So you're going to eventually start a podcast? That's funny. You beat me to the punch. So when, when he asked what I had going on, I was just going to kind of, you know, mention <laughs> that I worked with those guys at ITP, you know, that I do have some writing up on the post corner uh, and that you can find me kind of maybe sprinkled in on setting the edge and things like that. But really the project I've been spending the most time setting up has been a podcast. And I guess this is as good a spot as any to kind of talk about it. What I'm going to do is kind of take, take some of the guys that I really respect that are working on Twitter and with sites like NDT scouting inside Mm -hmm. the pylon uh, and those kinds of things that do a lot of good work around the draft between college and pro football um, that are on the younger side. And I'm going to bring them in and kind of give a formal kind of profile on them and interview them kind of like on their process, you know, how they make a, how they come to whatever concepts they do when they're writing, um, what they like to write about, and then the information and the actual content they do put out. I'll ask them about that so that way they can kind of uh, shine a light on what they do and what makes them special in this niche that we all kind of exist in. So I will yeah. keep uh, – I'll, 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 I'll say this. You guys work so fucking hard. We will help you get wherever you need to go. Yeah, we, right. look, we'll look. promote your stuff. We'll we'll help you guys get off the ground. Yeah, Deont- De- look, Deontay, coming from somebody that thinks Ryan Mallett is going to be a world beater at quarterback, <laughs> we have to have people on our show that know what they're talking about at the position that we, we ask them to, to speak about. And we understand you're trying to do the same thing. So I'll tell you what. Thank you so much for coming on our show. We're going to help you promote your stuff. Yeah, and where can we find you on Twitter? So my Twitter handle is Deontay Lee underscore. So that's D-I-A-N-T-E-L-E-E and then just one underscore. You guys can follow Deontay Lee on Twitter at Deontay Lee underscore. I mean, I can't thank him enough for coming on our show on what I would like to say is short notice because we didn't have this booked until like Sunday. Guys, he's building a website. He's trying to get his podcast up and running thepostcorner.com go check it out he's got a little bit of content up there right now we're going to help him get some of his stuff out you know whatever he needs he can he can get a hold of us obviously we I'm I'm more than thankful for anybody who wants to help me out I'll you know one one hand washes the other you scratch my back I'll scratch yours you open a beer for me I'll fall asleep on your couch that's how that works <laughs> guys guys this is great linebacker it was our biggest need on defense next week Next week, finally, quarterback <laughs> shows. I cannot wait. This is, guys, this is what we're doing. This is where Drew the, Gear shuts his mouth and lets people who yeah. actually know something talk. Exactly, exactly. Now, if, if you've been watching, I would assume everybody's been watching what's going on with the NFL draft. There is legitimately six quarterbacks that can go in the first round. So Drew and I have decided we're going to break this up into two different shows. We're going to get one show this week, and then another show the next week on quarterbacks. We're going to have, I, I know you guys are gonna, already going to be irritated, Travis Wing. Why are you having that 
Why are you having that orange and teal fruit on your show? He does a lot of quarterback research. Travis Wingfield will be on our show next week. He's in, we're going to talk about um, Mason Rudolph, Josh Rosen, and Josh Allen next week. He's going to break break it down for us because Drew said at the beginning of the show, I thought Ryan Mallett was going to be a fucking world beater. <laughs> Greatest quarterback ever. Drew doesn't know what he's talking about. That's why we've enlisted Wingfield on to break down these three quarterbacks. It's going to be a, a, a two-show a two-show quarterback uh, draft process here. We're going to break down Rosen, Allen, and Mason Rudolph next week with uh, Travis Wingfield from the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I, I cannot wait for it because we Drew and I have a, a Seagram's bet. We mentioned it earlier. Josh Allen is going to be a top 10 pick. You're going to have a Seagram's when you come back from Jamaica. I cannot wait. It's going to be... Uh, if you hand me a Jamaican me crazy, I'm going to bite the nose off your face. I can't wait because it is going to be a Jamaican... <laughs> it's going to be a Jamaican... I think it's Jamaican me happy. Jamaican me happy. Jamaican me happy is what it's going to be. Guys... Thank you so much for coming out and listening to our show this week. Make sure you check out Wise Guys Pizzeria. They just re-upped their uh, their POS system. It's it's fancy now. We got whoa, whoa, wait, wait. What's PO, POS? Point P- of sale, you dick. Oh, I oh, thought you that never worked in the industry. No, I thought you meant piece of shit. Boo. Listen, they're top notch. Their food's incredible. And if you have if you've been listening to this, you live in the area and you haven't ordered their food already, you're a horse's ass, and I'm disappointed in you. Know that. Guys, I'm Drew Gear, that's Chris Kruger, and this has been the Rock Pal Report.